0: I'm Olivia Maynard and welcome to The Domain of Women, a podcast highlighting the stories and ideas of women in the social sciences. Today, I am live in the studio with Dr. Richelle Tanner, Assistant Professor at Chapman University in the Environmental Sciences and Policy Program. Her work revolves around the effects that climate change has on both ecological and human communities. She is the first guest I've had whose work intersects with natural science in addition to social science, and I'm super excited to get to learn more about how these two fields interact. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Tanner. It is truly a pleasure. Uh, would you mind speaking a little bit more about your background and what your research like specifically focuses on?
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Olivia. Um, so... I'm, I'm trained as a natural scientist. I, uh, social science is a fairly new thing for me um, in the last you know, five, 10 years. But I like to say that in my lab, we do research that's uh, science in service of society. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is basically any way that we can improve the lives of both humans and animals and plants, um, so ecosystems and human communities that live near the coast, Um, We're doing research that matters to those people and those individuals. Um, So this means that we do everything from genomics, um, like very hard science, molecular biology, (laughs) um, all the way to, um, you know, qualitative interviews. We're looking at environmental history of Orange County. Um, We also do a lot of advocacy work. Um, So, we do research on how to talk to people to motivate them to engage in civic action. Mm -hmm. Um, We do research that informs policy in California, um, mostly water policy and resource management policy. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it's kind of all over the place, but my lab is about 18 people, mostly undergraduates. Wow. Um, So, yeah, it's hard to kind of it in a box,
0: but science and service of society is what we've come up with. Wow, that's wonderful. (laughs) So what kind of brought you to this field of study and like why why are you so passionate about it?
1: I think it has a lot to do with um, where I grew up and... you know, my background, which I think is how all of us come to what mm-hmm. we do. We, we talked before we came on about how we're both from the Pacific Northwest. Yes, <laughs> um, You probably grew up with these same cultural values mm-hmm. of protecting the natural environment. Yes. And, Um, you know, speaking up for people who don't have a voice. Um, My mom's an immigrant, so Mm -hmm. that was always important to me. And so all of these things kind of came together
0: in environmental science. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So where did you study and where did you get your degrees from? And do you feel like that was the kind of education you needed to get started and like get into your field? Because I know we talked a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I have kind of a non-traditional path to, <laughs> to where I've where I've ended up although I don't imagine that any other preparation would have been sufficient than yes. what I actually <laughs> did. So I did my undergraduate at uh, the University of Southern California right down the road. <laughs> um, I got a bachelor of music in, in jazz <laughs> performance specialty in piano performance mm-hmm. um, and I have a bachelor of science in environmental studies which is the humanities yeah. A flavor of this degree. <laughs> um, and then I did my PhD at UC Berkeley in integrative biology, which is the top ecology and evolution program in the world. Wow. So I went from humanities. <laughs> Obviously, I took some biology yeah, classes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but then I went and got that hard science background because I kind of had the forethought as a 17 year old applying to college <laughs> that I really wanted to be in science, um, but I didn't want to do it without some knowledge of the the people part of it, Mm -hmm. um, what science can impact, what kind of policies and social structures um, the natural sciences could impact, and then I went and specialized during my PhD, and then we have a series of like educational positions after PhD, most people don't know about this, but- Yeah, so before you become a professor, especially in the natural sciences, Mm -hmm. not normally in the social sciences, but you have to be, like, a professor in training, kind of. Okay. It's called a postdoctoral position, Mm -hmm. like postdoctoral degree, right? You have a PhD, (laughs) yet you're still somehow... Yeah, not quite there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whoever came up with this was brilliant because the university really benefits from that. (laughs) But I did two postdoctoral positions. Wow. Um, So I did one in bioinformatics, which is just as scary as it sounds. (laughs) Um, And then I did one um, and that was at Washington State University. And then Mm -hmm. I came back to California. Thank God. (laughs) And I was at UC Davis, um, working in the California Delta, which, you know, the capital is right there. It's working right at the nexus of management policy and science and kind of really shaped what my research group at Chapman is all about Mm -hmm.
0: while I was doing that. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you've talked a lot about like kind of your path to getting there. So how has like your approach to your work um, or things that you're interested in has changed since you've become a professor here at Chapman? I have
1: always been that stubborn kid who knows exactly what they wanted to do. (laughs) I mean, my approach has definitely changed in that I think I've become more understanding of different perspectives as I've grown older, which I think everyone goes through that. Yeah, for sure. And so I think, I mean, this was always, it's not that there was a big shift when I got to Chapman, but more and more I'm... Being vocal about not wanting to do research unless someone asks for it, and that someone mm-hmm. better be someone who doesn't already have a voice in policy. Yeah. Um, so I think coming to Chapman and really just be- becoming a professor gave me the freedom to say, no, I'm not interested in um, furthering a narrative that already exists. Yes. Um, I want to do something that matters and Mm -hmm. that the students find interesting and that we can actually contribute to society. So I think becoming a professor gives you the freedom to to make those choices.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm glad that you're talking about like advocating for those (laughs) who don't necessarily have the platform. Um, So that being said, when it comes to being a professor, what do you learn from your students? What are what are you taking away from them? I mean, I think this added this attitude is something
1: that I've taken from them, my sister just graduated from college, and Aww. so um, I, I'm younger than the normal professor. And so I always joke about how, like, I know you guys are Gen Z, but I'm <laughs> I am so close to being Gen Z. I don't really feel like a millennial, but this this idea of like not going with the status quo is something that Gen Z does really well. Yeah, um, and I think it's having that many people in my research group that are just willing like that's that's the norm for them mm-hmm. i think it makes this kind of research a lot easier yeah for sure um i think it's also been a tough time to be a professor because you're seeing students that are struggling with things that students in the past haven't struggled with just because of the pandemic mm-hmm. um so that's been a huge learning experience for me in like varying the types of like how i teach classes and all of that yeah
0: no it's definitely changed like, a lot mm-hmm. um i mean like last year It was like, it's kind of normal, but it's still not normal. And then the year before, of course, it was like we were deep into COVID and online learning. Did you have to teach online? Um, When did you start? So I did teach. uh, Well, I taught in graduate school and I taught as a postdoc. Yeah.
1: Um, So I was teaching in 2020. Mm -hmm. I was teaching the only hybrid class that existed at UC Davis. So we were doing research in the lab and it was basically... This like huge need that I saw in the students that the professors were unwilling to offer mm. um, because they needed research experience to get yeah. on the job market, and the professors were like, no, I don't really want to do that oh, gosh. because it's not safe, right? Yeah, and for I sure. was like, well, I already have students in the lab. Like, we can manage a few more. We worked on safety protocols and yeah. all of that. So I, I did teach online a little bit, but yeah. also it was, it was also the only class that was not fully online during that period so wow
0: yeah Yeah. and that's that was definitely (laughs) such a weird time like yeah yeah just trying to learn in that kind of environment was definitely challenging I'm sure Yeah. yeah um so you kind of like alluded to it but like what kind of jobs other than like being a professor are there in your field environmental science is a field where you can do anything yeah um
1: So even though I'm like a tried and true academic, I've always been on this path to being a professor. I also worked at a nonprofit um, while I was in grad school. And as a postdoc, I was the science director at a social science nonprofit that provided communication solutions to zoos and aquariums. Um, So you can work in the nonprofit sector. There's this like ambiguous area of environmental consulting that everyone's (laughs) always like, what is that. Yeah. What what, is consulting? (laughs) It's everything and nothing at the same time. Wow. So like if you are interested in field biology, like you want to be outside all the time, there are consulting firms that do that. One Mm. of my good friends um runs a consulting firm and all they do is go diving. Wow. They like take on all the projects to set up stuff underwater. Wow. That's consulting. (laughs) But you can also do like Um, you know water policy consulting and make sure and sustainability consulting and make sure companies are up to par on making the standards like it's yeah it's everything you can find a consulting job in anything
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's very nice actually like there's something for everyone truly
1: yeah Um, yeah I always tell the students like this is truly a major that can take you
0: wherever you want. That's why you're taking all these classes in all the different colleges, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Um, So a big part of this podcast is, of course, talking to women about Mm -hmm. their experiences in their fields. So how do you think your experience as a woman has shaped uh, your experience in your field, especially still as like a younger woman? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, so coming from, coming from music, I think was... (laughs) This is nothing compared to what it was like in the music industry. Um, Biases are obviously still there. um, And I think it's really... I've taken on my responsibility to help the woman and people of color and non-binary people in my lab Mm -hmm. understand that this is not going to be an easy journey. Yeah. And it's not their fault. Yeah. Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's really not. So I think... Personally, yeah, there have been challenges, but I'm also, like, you can't tell that that I have an immigrant background, Mm -hmm. um, and I've been afforded the social tools to work in academia without anyone really, truly discriminating in huge ways against Mm -hmm. me, right? And so, for me, I've taken that as an opportunity to infiltrate these spaces that people like me can't. So, Mm -hmm. um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of us try and just forget the things <laughs> that have happened, but it's a huge opportunity to, to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you had more, I guess, experiences of, like, discrimination um, in, like, when you were still studying, or have you had it, like, as you are a professor, or is there any sort of gauge on that?
1: Yeah, I think...
0: I think it happens pretty uniformly
1: across my career, but the difference is now um, I don't stand for it. (laughs) Now I have no problem asking people, you know, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, That's not appropriate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, you would never say that as an undergraduate. No, it's like scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, what kind of change do you think needs to occur? Um, in the field in terms of gender equality or even just like non-straight white men.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like it's not just a gender equality problem. Yeah. It's just like a non-cisthead rich man yeah. problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually do a lot of work in this area in higher education. I'm yeah. um, not just an environmental science and policy oh. professor. We do research on um, systemic bias and harm in higher education mm-hmm. and how we can, like, what are the tools to, to address that? So we had a paper, it was such so very academic of me. We had a paper <laughs> this year come out in the top Scientific journal, which was like a huge accomplishment. Oh, wow, congrats. Um, basically, detailing the ways in which we conference society, so systems of higher education present as addressing DEI issues, which mm-hmm. is what they like to call it DEI issues. Yeah. Um, and the ways that they are saying they are addressing that, but then we looked into the data behind mm-hmm. what is actually happening. And, you know, in a survey of, that represented Almost a million STEM professionals wow. showed that it's not um, what they're doing and what they're saying don't match at all, which we're not surprised about at all, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of been that way for a while.
1: Yeah, and so we've been applying for some, some grants to kind of make those changes that we see as being important. And so the the major goal is to increase the representation of women people of color all ev- yeah. everyone else yes in um in systems of power mm-hmm. um so these are people like deans and provosts and even department chairs and even just tenured professors yeah. we don't have very many female tenured professors yeah that's not a chapman problem that's a everywhere problem yes. but we have so many female graduate students actually more female graduate yeah. students in my field than Male. So, what happens? Yeah. Um, it's you know they're discouraged from moving on through really harmful things that happen to them. So, we have proposed this um, framework. kind of super academic, but <laughs> <laughs> this framework where we're shifting from this community of practice where we always talk about the science and what you know whatever our field is talking about to a community of care where we actually talk about who we are as people as people who do the science. And in shifting this language and the way we approach um, how we do science, hopefully we can bring more people in than just the people who say that they care about DEI issues because that's a very small subsection of our population. Right, The average professor doesn't care Mm
0: -hmm.
1: about that topic because it's seen as separate. But if we can bring it in to to make it seem, well, to show what the reality is, is that those issues are just embedded in how our practice of science is and higher education is, then maybe we can change something. So
0: (sighs) a big, big hurdle, right? (laughs) Yeah. But it sounds like, like you're trying to make strides and things are starting to work. I mean, congrats on the big academic journal. Like that's amazing. (laughs) No, I mean, I wrote this in my,
1: in my report this year, but like, top academic journal, like, maybe a thousand, couple thousand people read it, and we run a TikTok account for our lab, and, like, and there were, like, 600,000 people saw that wow. this year, so it's like, well, um,
0: wrote this fancy paper, but we probably should have just made a TikTok. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's your new approach to find, to fighting inequality in the workplace, is just making TikToks. <laughs> we I'm sure, my social media manager will
1: be very happy to hear that. I'll have to clip this soundbite for her. Oh, yeah. I'll send it your way.
0: <laughs> um, so I know you, you mostly focus on academia, but do you do you know if there's other strides being made in, like, out of academia, sort of, like, in the workplace? Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything
1: about cor- corporate culture. Yeah. Um, that was the whole point of going into this field, because yeah. I want nothing to do <laughs> with corporate culture. Good. You in, in the government, it's very similar to academia because okay. those people are, have a lot of education and they are generally feel the, view the world the same way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same things are happening. The same processes are happening. Yeah, I would say, I mean, there is incremental change being made, but it's going to take a while to get those people in power. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think the, the values of our community are changing. Yeah, think slowly.
0: Yeah. And that's great, because that like that kind of brings in the social sciences, like how yeah. do we as humans like interact within our world and like more directly our, our work and our studies. Right. Um, this is kind of like a dramatic like shift. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but who is someone in your field, um, woman, uh, non-binary, uh, who really like inspires you and who you look up to? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this was on your list, Olivia. Uh,
1: <laughs> um, oh, man. So my first thought is someone who's my contemporary mm-hmm. and who we are planning to bring to campus um, next mm-hmm. semester. Um, so I mean, <laughs> come and, and get her to come on this. Yeah, um, She's fantastic. Her name is Priya. Um, she is a PhD candidate at UC Davis, but she's so much more than just a student. Mm-hmm. She's a writer for Forbes. Wow. Um, she has done a lot in terms of advocacy, both in higher education, but also in ocean science. We're wow. very similar. Um, but she's not afraid to say what's on her mind and call people out, which I really that's amazing. Um, love about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've known each other since we were... Young, not Aww. I mean, not young children, yeah. but young academics, right? Aww. Like over ten years ago. Wow, <laughs> um, that's exciting. But in terms of the older generation, <laughs> it is it's it's hard. This is this is like an <laughs> exercise that we all go through often, and it's like, well, who even is out there doing this work? Yeah, um, I think a lot of the older generation in environmental science, ocean science, um, they've had to struggle through a lot. And so there are things that we can criticize them for now, but it's like, well, it's because they were in this, um, Mm -hmm. generation where even the most basic things were really difficult for them. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Catherine Aho is someone that everyone loves in (laughs) climate communications. Um, she's done so much for the movement. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she is she's a climate communicator, mm-hmm. but she's also um, very religious and she lives in Texas and she brings those two things together to talk to people about why they should care about climate change Wow! Um, and, you know, changing the minds of a lot of people yeah. who would not be reached by exactly. a lot of messaging. Wow. So she's been, yeah, really successful at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't there i don't know of a lot of like these yeah.
0: heroes
1: yeah. um other than people that are my contemporaries that are really doing a lot of great work
0: yeah but also <laughs> i guess it's like important that your contemporaries are doing the work because it's such a rapidly changing field i mean yeah. um from my understanding at least and yeah. the field itself versus like how the media perceives the field and like the general public it's so variable yeah um, and it's always changing
1: yeah so. environmental science is new it's new yeah yeah I mean I was when I got the degree in environmental studies it was still you know within five years of like it being created right and Chapman Mm -hmm. created theirs around the same time too which was wow you know for for the whole nation it was early Mm -hmm. and so it's only now that like it's becoming a field that is recognized
0: yeah 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 do you think it's continuing to grow like do you think it'll be even bigger than it already is yeah
1: we're seeing exponential growth in enrollments and in jobs um yeah I mean it's kind of the field with the the biggest job security because you
0: can just jump to something (laughs) a little bit different that's so true (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's great um what advice would you give to a young person that is interested in what you do I think the environmental science
1: and policy and studies aspect, um, being open to learning about how you see the world is super important. I think all of us have changed throughout our careers and what we see as this field being and what its priorities are. Mm-hmm. Um, seeking out those learning opportunities always is so important. Um, and making connections with people across the field is also important, right? Like yeah. I talk I'm friends with or I talk to a lot of people who don't really do what I do but you know five years down the road I'm sure there'll be something that I'm like oh mm-hmm. I'd really love to get into that if yeah. you talk to that person but just general advice for like any field yeah right? um in terms of being a professor <laughs> I tell all of my students not to do it <laughs> good advice Uh, it's it's (laughs) not for everyone it is it's something that a very small percentage of the population really enjoys doing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and can do it's not the job market for being a professor is intensely competitive especially in this field yeah um and it it puts a lot of people through a lot of turmoil that like they don't have to be going through like you can find a job somewhere else it's not it's not like it pays well it's not like it (laughs) you know you spend a lot of time here I'm always here like it's not that I, I do it because I really love it yeah um, it's not a career that you seek out for the fame or the fortune, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Your TikTok says otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't run that. Thing, oh, okay. So. <laughs> All the students run it. I make one like every so often mm. and then I go and message them on Slack and I'm like, did I do that trend correctly? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the the broad advice that I give to everyone in my lab, because basically no one in my lab is a white man, (laughs) um, is like being aware of those biases and how you can overcome them Mm -hmm. and like know personally,
0: like not take them personally. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot
1: of, there's a lot of tears.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you personally, where do you foresee yourself going? Because you have so many different interests. Do you, yeah. do you have a specific path that you want to head down? Or do you want to try more new things? What what do you kind of see for yourself?
1: Yeah, I,
0: like I said, I knew what I wanted when I was 17. Yes. And I still
1: know what I want. Good. Um, you know, coming to academia and being a professor so early gives me a lot of opportunity to branch out beyond this. Mm-hmm. Um, I will get bored at some yeah. point. <laughs> Um, I think being in the policy making space and the advocacy space is super important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to get back into the nonprofit world. I did kind of burn out from that. It is tough to work in those yeah. in those areas just because of the, the lack of funds and the stress that comes along with that mm-hmm. for the organization. Yeah. Um, But I'd love to volunteer with more of that. Um, If my deans ever hear this, they'll tell me, absolutely not. Not until tenure, which is, yes, true. Not until tenure. Not until Until tenure. tenure. Chapman's got 100%, more or less, of my time until then. (laughs) Um, But eventually, I would love to go. This is the pie-in-the-sky dream. I would love to be a science advisor at the White House. Wow. That'd be amazing. (laughs) I saw this video of the science advisor, probably like, it must have been like 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, explaining climate science to the congressional representatives. Yeah. Um, And he just, it just looked so fun. (laughs) I mean, it is not for everyone. He was like arguing with them about it. Um, It was, he was talking to people who were denying that climate change is real. Yeah. Um, But... I think it's super important to talk to people who don't necessarily agree with you. Yeah. Um, to come to not necessarily a common understanding but a common solution that's best for yeah. for society. I think working against extreme bipartisanship is mm-hmm. important to me. Yeah, <laughs>
0: for sure.
1: Um so I think that would be a fun a fun job. <laughs> that
0: would be so cool.
1: <laughs> Man.
0: Yeah. That would be amazing.
1: We are actually I don't know if I told you this in my email. We are leaving for D.C. tonight.
0: (gasps) Really? Yeah.
1: So I'm taking my students um, to meet with congressional (laughs) representatives this weekend. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. The students are are pumped. I bet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would be pumped. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, that is going to be all for this episode. I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Richelle Tanner to be insightful and fascinating. And a big thank you to Dr. Tanner for sitting down to chat with me about your work and your experiences. There will be links to Dr. Tanner's work in the show notes below, so you can check her work out. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at The Domain of Women or on Twitter at Olivia N. Maynard for podcast updates and other upcoming projects. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Bye.